Welcome to the Paradigm Shift Podcast, where we are unraveling the roots of abortion through real-life stories and expert conversations. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Lisa, for that great introduction. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you for joining us on our show. Some of you might have noticed in that intro video something about our virtual conference and the dates had passed. I want you to know there's still time for you to get a premium pass. You have still about 75 days to look at all the content, 63 speakers, many countries in attendance. For, 40, for $99, it's a great deal. And you can just have the next two and a half months to um, you know, take a look at that information. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, later in the show, we'll have that website where you can go ahead and, and purchase that premium pass. So today we have a great show for you. We have our first gentleman guest since Jack Harper was on in episode one. Today we have Perry Underwood with us. He's the executive director of Avanon and Savanon. Won't you help me in welcoming Perry today? Hi, Perry, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. And thank you. It's an honor to be on your show today. So thank you very much. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really excited, excited to feature your ministries, your curriculum, um, because it's different from most that I've ever encountered. But why don't we just get to know you a little bit? You used to live in Alaska. So tell us about that. Uh, I spent 10 years in Alaska before moving to, to uh, where we are now in Spokane, Washington. And uh, I, I ran an organization, a business up there. I, I spent 30 years in the corporate world, and my, my last 10 years in the professional world were, were spent in Alaska running an organization up there. Uh, love Alaska. If you haven't been there, it's someplace you need to go. Uh, it's, it's just beautiful. And uh, just having Bear looking in the window of, of our back studio oh and, and uh, having pictures of me out barbecuing with moose in the background and just it's just just great all the wildlife and the scenery and just an awesome place to live so what brought you to spokane washington i'd sold my business that i had up there and and um was kind of thinking about semi-retirement and uh my daughter and at the time our only grandchild and, her, and my daughter and her husband and our only grandchild they had moved from Alaska to Spokane. I sold my business. And my wife and I were feeling like it was time for us to make a change. And so we looked, we looked at several different communities, mostly in the Northwest and in the Western part of the United States. And uh, our daughter moved to Spokane, so that just sealed it. So my, my wife we said, we have to follow our grandchild to Spokane, Washington. She had been born here, and I had never been here before. So I came down to Spokane, sit out, and I thought, you know what, I could live there. And so uh, a few months later, we, we followed our grandchild and my daughter and her husband to, uh, to Spokane. So what happened with that idea of being semi-retired? <laughs> it's still a dream. <laughs> but, uh, when, when we got here, a series of things happened and I started doing some consulting work for various businesses and I wrote a, a book on marketing actually and and uh, the, the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Spokane got their hands on a copy of this book I had written on marketing through a, a, a pastor friend of mine and so I had an interview with the executive director and their key leadership team 
and they had read the book and they wanted to know if they could hire me as a consultant. And so I, I agreed and I, I went to work for a few months, almost a year as a consultant for this pregnancy resource center. And while I was there, now I had been on involved in pregnancy resource centers in the past and my wife had been a counselor or an advocate working with them. So we were familiar with what goes on, but this, the pregnancy center here in Spokane, they hired me to take a look at everything. And one of the troubling things for the pregnancy center here was the director told me we have 2000 abortions taking place in Spokane every year. And we believe that nobody goes through an abortion experience without being adversely affected by that. Yet we're the only healing program in town and we're seeing 10 to 12 women, no men, a year in our healing program. What's the problem? And my response was, well, you've either got a marketing problem or you've got a wrong assumption that, that everyone is adversely affected by their abortion. So uh, that was one of their situations that I looked at and, and I interviewed dozens of men and women and to find out what I could about abortion recovery. And I came to the conclusion that if their assessment that everyone who had an abortion was adversely affected, if that assessment was not correct, it was awfully close. So I, I have had did not talk to anyone who had an abortion who was not adversely affected, and I still have it to this day. I've talked to people who thought they were not affected, but by the time our conversation was done, they had changed their mind. So anyway, I, I uh, put together a program for them. I said, here's what you need to do. If you're, going to, if you're going to turn around your abortion recovery program, here's what you need to do. And the director, her jaw hit the floor. That we can't do that. That's just too much. We don't have the resources and all, all, all kinds of excuses. And I left thinking, okay, my job here is done. Uh, I've done what you asked given you a plan and I go home and I think, all right, my job's done. And I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, now that you know what you know, what are you going to do about it? And my response, Perry, can, I inter can I interrupt sure. you just for a second? Because I bet you there's pregnancy centers out there watching. And I think they might be interested in knowing what recommendations you made to that organization that they thought were beyond their ability to even implement. Do you mind sharing that? Great question. Uh, abortion recovery was hidden deep in their website. So my suggestion to them was that they make it a priority. Now, as with most pregnancy resource centers, their mission is to save the baby and save the mama or some variation of that. And abortion recovery, if you look and are honest, it's down seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth place on the priority list. They had about 15 people on staff. Not one person was devoted to abortion recovery. They had 13 billboards scattered throughout town. Not one billboard made any mention of abortion recovery. Um, again, buried on the website, newsletters, emails, that went out, never a mention of it. And my, my position was you've got to make this a priority. It will never replace saving that baby and saving that mama as your number one priority, but it's got to be a close second. You've got to make it a priority. 
That's really yeah. good, Terry. That's that's really good because we found that as well, right? You know, it's that, that having that person in the center that had been impacted by abortion themselves just brings that element of relatability when you're talking to somebody in the room. And that's really that's really great stuff. So thank you for taking the time to share about it. Now I know you're about to tell us about how Abanon and Savanon was birthed. So I don't want to I don't want to stop people from hearing about that. No problem. Feel free to interrupt me anytime. I talk about this all day. Um, where was I at? Okay, I, I had, uh, I came home, felt the Holy Spirit saying, now that you know what you know, what are you going to do about it? And my answer was, well, nothing. It's not my problem. And I'm trying to move into retirement, right? And the Holy Spirit says, wrong answer. <laughs> wrong answer. So, um, at that time, I wrote a book called Change the Shame. It's and this, you look at it, you see Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. and and uh, Parker Rose over over here, um, and and this is about civil rights and slavery and women's suffrage and the equal rights movement. But what I do in that book is I make a case that the word abortion isn't even mentioned until you are deep in the book. Uh, talking talk about slavery and, and the social injustices of our of our country, and I introduced abortion as as a social injustice of our day. Well, in this book, I mention abortion anonymous, knowing that it didn't exist at the time. So, when that book was published on August thirteenth of two thousand and thirteen, I knew I was all in. So, uh, I quickly scrambled to. Start an organization called Abortion Anonymous, which is now commonly called as Abaddon. Scrambled to put it together, and my my intention was to find an articulate, attractive, educated, um, post-abortive woman. And I strike out on all five. So, so that was my intention was to find someone to run it, and uh, put together a board and all that, and set everything up. And um, until until God or the board tells me otherwise, I'm the one that's running this, at least for now. But, but uh, they said, you've got the vision, you've got the plan. We can hire somebody for sure, but we want you to run this organization. And, and, and I, I couldn't say no because I couldn't find anyone else to run it at the time. So that's, yeah. that's why in this, this organization. That's so good. So in, in your book, you reference something that doesn't even exist. So you're forcing yourself to have to walk it out, right? That's so good. That's right. Yeah, that's so good. I never knew myself as being the director. Never. <laughs> God has different plans for most of us, right? Than we do for ourselves. So that's good. Um, so tell me what's different about Abaddon. Well, when we started, we put together a committee. And this was four or five women who had gone through an abortion experience themselves. And our hope was just to find a curriculum that we could just pull off the shelf and use in groups because I felt the problem was marketing more than the curriculum. And so the committee, they looked at, at probably a dozen different curricula. And what we found was there were two types out there. One is it's overtly religious on one side. And the other is there's no mention or reference to God or Jesus or forgiveness, and, and there's no path to healing through a relationship with Christ. 
And so on one hand, we've got these overtly religious curricula that are not going to be, be um, they're not going to be effective for most of the population who experienced abortion. They're not even working in the church, to be honest. Less than 5% of women who had an abortion in the church have gone through any type of healing program. And you get outside the church, the numbers are less than 2% or even 1%. But it's, it's very small. So what, they're, they're not working. They're not reaching the greater audience. On the other hand, the curricula that makes no reference to God or Jesus re really have, have no lasting impact. Uh, they might be good, make you feel good. You've gone through a group, but, but they weren't having the heart change that was necessary for, for the healing to take place. So we, we thought we'd find something on the shelf that we could use. We didn't. Not that there's some great curricula out there. Uh, there, there are some great curricula out there, and I think they have their place. But there was nothing that we looked that we thought would be a good introductory curriculum. Yeah. So we. Well, no, I mean we have always referred to your um, curricula, or, or at least Abaddon, as religiously neutral. But in our conversation today, you called it not overly religious because you do talk about God, like in week seven, and there is yeah. testimonies from the because your, your your book is is based on personal testimonies of people and then you ask questions to help the let the participant or the person that's going through that group to relate to that story to their own abortion experience correct that's correct yeah so the, the outline of the book is basically to deal with the emotions that typically accompany uh, an abortion experience like regret shame guilt despair uh, so we deal with seven different emotions and each week we deal with a different emotion. And, and then uh, so there's a parable in the Bible. Some call it the parable of the sower and some call it the parable of the seed. I call it the parable of the soils because the seed that is productive, how productive that seed is depends on the soil in which the seed landed. Hmm. And we believe our curricula, both men and women, both Abaddon and Savannah, has six weeks of soil preparation. We prepare the soil so that when the gospel is actually introduced in week seven, there's, the soil is prepared for it, and, and people are much more open to receiving the, the healing that comes through a relationship with Christ. So let me ask you a question. Go ahead. I'm, I have a really interesting question that just came to my mind. You know, we've sent you hundreds of, of referrals. Um, and I'm just wondering, have, has anybody that we've referred to you or anybody that's gone through your group that said that they really wanted a non-faith-based curriculum ever had pushback to, to your book and to the content of the book and when Christ is introduced? That I do not know because we just recently started keeping very close tabs on everybody that goes through our group. So we, we actually, because of our relationship with support after abortion, we changed everything we did and we actually created an intake process so we can provide data on, on everybody who comes through. How many, how many referrals did we get? How many started groups? How many dropped out? How many completed? How many became facilitators and so forth? So I couldn't, I, I do know of, of one woman who was offended by our Savanon curriculum because it, it she thought it was too religious for her okay. and dropped, 
after the first week and, and, and wrote a scathing letter about it. But for the most part, I have not heard of anyone that is offended by, by because we, we prepare them right up front. We're going to talk about these things. We're going to have a discussion about God. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about forgiveness. Talk about uh, these things because they're, they're important. Um, but it's not, it's not in your face. We don't beat people over the head with the Bible and they walk in. There's no looking up scriptures. Uh, that's not part of our curriculum until we get to week seven. Yeah, that's been our experience too. We've never had anybody come back to us and tell us that they were put off by the content at all. Um, you know, so I just wanted to make that, uh, you know, there is there is an alternative to that really Bible forward, faith-based um, healing program that's out there, that this is a complement to that. Um, and as you said, milk, not meat kind of substance. So thank you for that. Now you have books, both Savanon and Avanon for men. And so I gotta ask because I'm not a man, you know, like how do like do men grieve differently? Is your book structured differently? How like we refer men to men. So help our audience know and those that are looking, you know, especially if they don't have if they, if they don't have anything for men that come to them that are struggling after abortion. We want them to understand what you provide. Um, so referrals can be made to you. But if they're really considering expanding on their men programming, what can they do? And and so just tell us a little bit about your your male book. It's called the same, right? The Power of Your Story for Men. Yes, The Power of Your Story for Men. And you know, we talked earlier, I said there, there's not much difference. And then I got to looking at it, I go, there's a quite a bit of difference in how we approach this from men than we do women. Um, as a matter of fact, I start off uh, in this book talking about um, uh, Actually, actually, I have another book. I'm not here to promote books, but just to get an idea. <laughs> I, I wrote this book. It's called The Big Game. And you can see it's, there's a guy on there hunting and a football uh -huh. player, ram and fisherman and so forth. It's called The Big Game. And, and this is just basically stories from my life. And by the way, it says for men only. Uh, yeah, Things men should talk about but rarely do. For men, for men only. So you can't buy one, but I'm kidding. <laughs> this is actually just part of marketing for men only. Because if, if you put for women only, no man on the planet is going to touch it. You put for men only, there's no woman on the work women. There's no woman the planet can resist. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, think, I think more women read that book than, than men do. But there are... Even though I'm personally do, do not have an abortion story, I share abortion stories that I've encountered in various places in that book. But what I deal do with in that book is I deal with the things men deal with. And I start off with simple things like lying and stealing, and, and I move up to going through um, uh, sexual issues, and, and I finish it off with the last chapter is called The Elephant in the Room. And I really take and deal with the abortion issue. And, and this is meant for small men's group as part of our Savanon, or I'm sorry, part of our Abanon curricula. And, and I take the last chapter out of this, the big game, and I start it, I start that, this book, our, our men's curriculum, I start off with the last chapter in the big game. So I, it, it's relating to men, it's, it's putting the story in terms that men can understand. And um, 
and and these are men's stories rather than women's stories and uh so it is it is a little bit of a different twist than, than the women's but it follows the same pattern of dealing with the emotions that men go through and a couple of the emotions are different than what than what the uh, women deal with okay do you have i think you selected a testimony that you wanted to read to us so if there's any men out there watching that have been part of an abortion experience that haven't reached out for help this resource is available to you it's www.abanon.org if you'd like to reach out and pick up that book for yourself and and Perry's going to read one of the personal testimonies that you could find in this book. He said okay. it was a good one, so. <laughs> well, you be the judge. Um, excuse me. This story, the, the man's name is Bill, and he starts off, <clears throat> key to my story and unique from the stories of so many other men who were involved in an abortion is the fact that I was adopted. I learned that I was adopted around the age of eight or nine, and throughout my adolescent years, I never quite felt like I fit in. This outsider feeling was of my own doing. My adoptive parents loved me and treated me as if I was their own. I had a sister who also was adopted, and she had absolutely no issue with it. She knew that I felt like an outsider and regularly used my condition as a means to tease and embarrass me. In my later teens, I eventually got over the outsider feelings and grew to become what I would consider normal. But knowing that I was adopted and that adoption is a viable choice for those facing an unplanned pregnancy makes my involvement in abortion even more painful. During my sophomore year at the University of Montana, I became a Christian with the encouragement of some friends connected with Campus Crusade for Christ. The following year, I met a beautiful, vivacious girl who would eventually become my wife. I was a junior, she was a freshman, and a Christian as well. We were as much in love as any two people could possibly be. She was from Billings, Montana, where her parents were prominent in their community. Her father retired lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps and had worked at the Pentagon. We became engaged around Thanksgiving in my senior year but similar to the feelings of my youth, I felt like I didn't fit in or measure up to her parents' expectations for their little girl. For their little girl. Two months after our engagement, we learned that she was pregnant. She was convinced that we had to abort the child. My parents will absolutely disown us if they find out we became pregnant before marriage. So we aborted our child. I did not want the abortion, and we fought about it for several weeks. I didn't fight hard enough. I will never forget that day. I managed to get enough money to pay for the abortion and went with her to the clinic. I held her hand throughout the procedure. I can vividly remember the scraping and the suction. The suction hose was clear plastic and I could see body parts as they passed through. After the abortion, we had a sense of relief. Her fears of her parents' disapproval were gone. But with our sense of relief also came a deep sense of loss. We got married that summer. She went on to complete her elementary teaching degree while I worked several jobs to pay the bills. After unsuccessfully searching for a teaching position, she took a job working in a retail, uh, working in retail, while I continued to work three jobs. I convinced myself that this was what was needed to get ahead. I was still trying to measure up to her parents' expectations. 
She needed me at home, but I was working too much. We started drifting apart and fighting over little things. We realized that our marriage needed help and we agreed to see our pastor for marriage counseling. During our third counseling appointment, I was informed that after just three and a half years of marriage, she was filing for divorce. I was totally blindsided. She immediately moved out of the home we had just purchased and I was left wondering what had just happened. I begged her not to divorce and tried to reach out to her many times. I remember her parents telling me on one such occasion, get over it and get on with your life. The abortion had deeply affected her. She needed me to comfort and care for her. But at that time, I just didn't see it. I knew that she had been hanging out at a local bar after work with a female coworker, but later learned that she had been having at least one affair. I still loved her. I knew that I was just as much at fault and wanted to reconcile, but to no avail. A couple of years later, the morning, of the, follow, the morning following Super Bowl Sunday in 1988, I received a phone call that my ex-wife was dead. Sitting in her car in her parents' closed garage, engine running, she had ended her life. I later learned that she had just had a fight with her mom and, and that she was once again pregnant while unmarried. After my divorce, I was in and out of a couple of relationships and about five years later was remarried. I had walked away from the faith I had found in college. In my desire to be healed from the wounds caused by the divorce and the death of my first wife, I eventually returned to church. I found the healing with the help of John Eldred's book, Wild at Heart. It seemed as though he had written that book just for me. My first wife and I had never talked about our abortion. The pain was so great that neither of us wanted to bring it up. I don't know whether she ever told her parents about the abortion, but my guess is that she never did. No one knew her better than I, and I can tell you with complete certainty that she killed herself out of the overwhelming guilt over her abortion. I said earlier that I was adopted, but what I didn't tell you was that I was conceived when my biological mother was raped. My biological mother had every social, socially acceptable justification to terminate my life, that she chose to endure the shame and the pain that went along with bringing me into this world. My personal guilt for my involvement in the abortion of my child is greatly magnified when I consider my personal history and that I too could have easily been aborted had it not been for the choice of a courageous woman. The life of my first wife came to a tragic end, but only by the grace of God was I able to find forgiveness and freedom from the spirit of despair that settled on both of us on that horrible day. Thank you for that, Perry. Um, what a tragic story, huh? It's not much different from the stories that we hear from women and men every day, right? Um, wish they had done more. Um, relationships falling apart. Um, yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that. I know that was a little long for you listening, but I just wanted you to hear an excerpt from his book. So you, if you've been impacted by abortion or you know somebody is ha that has, or if you want to, you know, elevate your male program, this is this is the kind of um, resource that you have available to you. We've had a couple questions come in. I'm going to take a pause here, Perry, to ask you a couple questions. Um, it says, would you ask Perry to give examples of how men are impacted by abortion and how does his program help them? Good question. <laughs> With women having the abortion experience, they're all in, all in emotionally, physically. There's, there's, there's no way around it. With men, 
each man's story is a little bit different. On one, on one extreme, we have men who have fathered a child that was aborted and they never knew about it until maybe years later. Totally, totally clueless as to what went on. The other extreme for men is when a man uh, fathers a child, is very upset about it, and, and is very forceful and aggressive about, about forcing that woman to have an abortion. She has very little choice in it. It's, it is, it's, a, it's dictated by, by him. I even have one story where I heard that uh, a man told this woman who went through one of our groups if she didn't have an abortion, he would n kick her in the stomach until she miscarried. Wow. And this, the, the physical ab abuse that she was threatened with if she did not abort the child. So those are the extremes. And, and then there's everything in the middle. And, and so do you, plug, do you plug them into a group with other men like we do with women? And do they go through your workbook together with a facilitator? Is that the kind of process? Yes, that's a, it's the same process as what we do with the women, either online or a live group where they go through the eight weeks of our, of our curriculum. And uh, the whole mission of Abaddon is to is to create awareness regarding the emotional harm caused by abortion and create a path for healing for those affected. And so men will fall in a, a various positions on this spectrum of, of uh, not knowing at all to being, to being the cause of the abortion and anything in the middle. And so what I find with, with men is that they're all over the board. With, with their emotions and, and how it impacts them based on their involvement. But one thing that I see as a recurring theme in the men that I talk to, it, it's just like I read in Bill's story, I didn't fight hard enough. I wanted to keep that child. Now, there are those who, who again, pushed abortion, but there's so many men who said, I, it, was, it was her body, her choice. I just curled up. And, and didn't say a word, when instinctively men have this God-given inherent understanding that their role is to provide and protect, right. and they didn't do it. It's like, right. it's like a soldier on a battlefield who runs from the battle and, and feels like a coward. Men feel like a coward, if you, if you will. I hate to use that term, but that's really what it is, when they don't fight for their child. Yes. And they look and they say, I should have. And so that's what we're dealing with with so many of the men who come through our groups. So now I have a two-part question, um, and I think that you can answer this. Um, so one one person asked, what are the signs that men are hurting after abortion? You know, what, what do you look for, or what do they, you know, how does that regret or that struggle surface? And, and that the second part of that question is, how might a woman share that she feels her spouse may be needing help too? So talking not only to um, the partner of the person that could be struggling and what should she look for if they are struggling? And then how do they, what do they say to that partner to say that there's help available for you as well? How do they introduce that, that concept of that you may be hurting too? That's, there's a lot to that one. So let me... <laughs> Men, just as women, they they are they experience pain. 
I have talked to dozens, if not hundreds, of men about their abortion story. And I've only had one story that I can recall where the man did not tear up. Okay? Mm. And I know that man was affected because he wrote a $10,000 check to our organization. So he, that's the only one that I could, but he, 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 uh, he paid dearly for it. But anyway, um, men process it the same way through addictions, through uh, trying to excel at their job or sports, uh, eating, sleeping disorders, whatever. The same, the same symptoms that women display from having abortion, the, the same symptoms are there in men. So if you understand how abortion affects women and you see those same signs in men, they too are probably affected by, by that abortion. And the uh, second part of your question was- Is there a hesitation for men to reach out for help? And if they are hesitating, yeah. how can a partner or a wife um, who maybe has gone through healing herself already suggest that to her spouse? partner what we're finding is that it is actually becoming well it's very uncommon to find a man and a woman in a marriage situation today that were involved in an abortion experience in the past mm -hmm. it is very very common for a couple to split up within weeks of having that abortion that's been our experience and i think i'm not alone in that so um if women so often get an abortion to try to keep the man and keep keep that relationship alive but almost in almost in a high percentage 80 90 percent of the time they break up within within weeks of that experience so we don't find that many situations where the man and woman are still together or married however it does happen and uh, uh, and th there's it's just like anything um, a wife tries to get her husband to do yeah <laughs> nagging is not going to work yeah. the man has to come the man needs to hear from other men what their experience was how how Abaddon helped them, and they need to come to that decision on their own. And I have never seen the nagging part work, but but when men talk to men about these kind of issues, then then they see their need and open up. Because men tend to shove it down. They they are they're much harder. I, I would just be real honest. Men are much harder to get into groups than women are. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I'm going to switch gears now because we had a question earlier on and we haven't gotten to this topic and Savadon is like the uh, equal half part of your organization. So I want to talk about um, the connection or the correlation, which you've told me that you have found and we have found as well between sexual assault and abuse and abortion. Can you speak to that for a little bit? Yes. Um, we had Abaddon in 2013. We really got going in 2014. Our first group was in 2000, January 2015. It was our first group. It just took that long to put everything together. But as we started seeing women go through these groups and telling their story, we kept hearing 
well, when I was a child, I was sexually abused or I was assaulted. And not that the sexual abuse or the assault had anything to do with the abortion, but, but I would keep hearing these stories that I was sexually abused as a child. And I would think, oh, that's really too bad. And I, I want to go and find a guy and pound, a, pound him. But, but, of course, that doesn't work anymore. But anyway, uh, I would feel my heart would go out to these women who would tell their stories or write their stories and, and they would get back to me. Um, and I just would think, oh, that's too bad. And then uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be real honest here. I was, I was sound asleep. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, but I was awakened at 4 a.m., and, and I just felt this very strong sense that Abaddon needed to start a sexual abuse program. And my instant response was, are you nuts, God? We, <laughs> that's not in our mission statement. It's not what we're called to do. Um, anyway, I, I had this argument with God all day long about starting the sexual abuse and, and he won the argument but but as as I processed this all day long for the next actually the next few days I started to see the connection and all these stories started coming back to my mind and and, I, and then I started thinking how could I have not seen this sooner how in the world have I gone for five years hearing these stories and not made this connection? But women who, who have been sexually abused, it's basically, we've, we've come to the, 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 the conclusion that, and there's still a lot of data to be gathered, but we come to the conclusion that when a, a, a woman is sexually abused, either as a child or as a woman or assaulted, that, that she has she doesn't have the say so with her body and so so this mindset that they have this they, they no longer have the say so with their body they they do what they're told or forced into doing then when it comes to other things like a boyfriend or a spouse telling them they have to have an abortion they tend to go along with it much more readily than someone who who hasn't had that experience and that's the biggest connection. It's the mindset that I'm powerless. And, and yeah, so yeah. Um, and you know, we see that same correlation. I mean, we know that there are root causes, um, things that happen in life early on that we start to believe lies about ourselves, and then we act in ways that are destructive and damaging. But um, we definitely know that when somebody is sexually abused as a child, that they just become vulnerable to all kinds of predators out there and to all kinds of situations that they probably normally would never have found themselves in otherwise. So, um, but the real, the real message that we have here today, Perry, is that for that person that's been sexually abused or for that person that's had an abortion, man or woman, family member or friend, that the real message and the reason that we're standing here today is because healing is possible, right? Yes. Abortion yes. and sexual trauma and abuse is not bigger than the opportunity that they have to walk out their healing. 
to move through that grief and loss process, to break through to the other side and find freedom from that shame and that regret and that guilt. So if you um, or anybody you know has been impacted by abortion, you can reach out to us at supportafterabortion.com. If you know somebody that would like something that's not overtly religious in nature, you can reach out to abanon.com. And you can always go to our website and look at our virtual groups. We offer a number of different virtual groups for individuals that have been impacted by abortion. Um, and we do have our own book, um, which is Unraveled Roots, that gets to that root cause of why we behave in ways that we do and the generational um, generational cycle of conduct and behavior that's passed on from generation to generation. Perry, we could stay on for another 20 minutes, but we're almost at that 45 minute mark. So I just thank you so much for um, your candor. And I thank everyone that was watching for your questions. Thank you so much. Next week, we have another really exciting guest. Her name is Rhonda. I hope I say this right. Rhonda De La Moraneri. Um, and she is with Perfect Mess. So make sure that you turn in next Tuesday at 4 p.m. for the Support After Abortion Healing Network Facebook Live. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know has been impacted by abortion, you are not alone. Contact us today at supportafterabortion.com. If you are inspired by today's message, we welcome you to join the conversation by following us on Facebook or Instagram.